What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hey, welcome back for another episode of the Wellpreneur Online Podcast, episode 31. And this week, any of you out there who still have a day job or who would love your day job, right? And and it's not that you're trying to get out of your day job, but you like what you do and you love well-being and you're starting a well-being business on the side. Or you're balancing both until you've got enough revenue in your well-being business that you can transition out of the corporate job. If you're in this situation, you are going to love today's interview. Ooh, the other people that are really going to like today's interview are those of you that are interested in getting into the corporate market and doing well-being programs or talks or services to the corporate market, you're going to want to listen up to. This week, I'm talking to Lawrence Mitchell, who is a marketing executive and a health coach. And Lawrence actually loves what he does in his day job as a marketing executive, but he also is totally passionate about health and wellness and has been building his business, Raw Energy, on the side. And what I love about Lawrence's story is that it isn't just about finding time to do your business on the side. He's actually taken the leap and fused the two so that he's able to bring his well-being into his corporate job to start a well-being program and also, you know, leverage his corporate network and leverage what he's learned to help him build his raw energy business. So it's just a really cool way of bringing your whole person into a business, which as somebody that did that, you know, blogging on the side while working in a corporate job for several years. I wish I'd even thought about doing this because I think it would have been a lot better to bring my whole self into the job. So you don't feel like you have that split feeling that you're one person from nine to five and another person on nights and weekends. So today with Lawrence, we're going to be talking about how he's built his health coaching business, how he started a well-being program at his company, strategies that you can use that are compelling to the corporate market to look at health and well-being and to start well-being programs. And then we're also going to talk about productivity and, and how he manages to do things like write his book and grow his email list and create products while he's working his job and running his business on the side and has a family and wants to have a bit of a life. And so I think you know, for those of you that if you feel like there's just not enough time in the day, which happens to a lot of us, right? I think you're going to like these tips from Lawrence. We also mentioned lots of different resources and tools you can use. And as always, you can get the links to those in the show notes, which are at wellpreneuronline.com slash 31. So let's jump into this interview with Lawrence Mitchell. Well, hi, Lawrence. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Hi, Amanda. It's good to be here. Lawrence is one of the few guests that I actually really know in person. And we <laughs> both live in London. And I've kind of known Lawrence through your journey of becoming a health coach, really, since before you you finished 
your health coach training program. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about about you and and when you suggested to come on the show, I thought it was a brilliant idea, is because Lawrence is still working in his his full-time job and a pretty serious job as a, a marketing executive in a large company. But unlike lots of us, Lawrence likes what he does. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I what I really thought it'd be interesting to chat about today, Lawrence, is how you've managed to not just find a balance between these two things, but really make them even stronger by bringing your well-being and your health coaching into your corporate job and, and starting a well-being program. And it seems like, yeah, you've really gone far beyond balance and really leveraged them. Sure. No, yeah, no happy to share my, uh, my experiences. So can you kind of take us through kind of how this happened. So you became a health coach while working in your pretty intense career. And then how have you found ways to to merge the two? Can you give us that story? Sure. Well, I, I suppose that the, the story is, I mean, I've, I've had a big co- a corporate job. I'm a marketing, a senior marketing guy for a big publishing company. So very, very busy, very intense uh, working environment. And I've always had a personal passion for health and well-being. And it was very much focused on myself because like like many people, many health practitioners, your journey starts with a, a health issue. And I've been doing this as a separate initiative for years, um, really. And I always had uh, the dream that one day I'd like to run or be part of the, the wellness industry in some way. And uh, when I um, first found out about health coaching, it just felt like it was exactly what I wanted to do. And that's why I trained to be a health coach. And then I set up my own practice in my spare time because it brought together my interests in well-being and um, and uh, healthy eating and fitness and increasingly stress management and resilience and all these different areas, which is a hobby of mine. My big challenge has always been I have very limited time. I also have a family and I want to have a life. So how do you actually manage these two things together? And, uh, and I, I got very frustrated because of my lack of time in the sense that I would go on a holiday for a couple of weeks, for example. And then, of course, that period I would use to focus on my raw energy business. It would make a big leap forward. Whereas when I came back to work, I, I, I'm working on lots of different big projects. So everything stalled and all I had to, uh, to, or the only time I had was to work weekends, if you like, and occasionally in the evenings. And it was only at the end of last year that I thought I got ready, if you like, uh, in the sense that I, one of my big frustrations has been that I have very separate personas. So I've got my marketing persona and I'm well connected and, and, and people know me. And then I've got my well-being persona, which is I'm not known for that area and I wanted to build that. And it was frustrating for me having these very separate areas from a social media perspective and, uh, and in, a, in a face-to-face environment because I wasn't able to talk in a joined-up way. And well-being is so much part of what I do and who I am. And I do love my job. I have to say, I mean, my corporate job is uh, it's publishing. So it's a very creative environment and it's due to publishing. And I, I, I get to meet some really interesting people who are very inspiring and learn about new technologies. And it's great. And I'm that kind of person that likes a variety and likes to do multiple things. And yet I felt this whole piece around well-being, I wasn't 
benefiting the people I was working with. So it started at the, the beginning of the year where I thought maybe I could get well-being on the corporate agenda. So I had a, a conversation with my boss, who happens to be the, the CEO, and just saying, would you, is this, this something I'm interested in? Would uh, w- would you be interested if I just found out what we do? Because I didn't even know what we did as a, as a company. So it started from there and I made some inquiries and we have a occupational health department. I found out what they did. And to be honest, I was surprised. We did a lot more than I thought. It's just none of the dots were joined. It was quite a fragmented approach to um, to well-being. So from there, I then gathered together a steering group of like-minded people because we have a lot of people who are quite health engaged in the organization. Uh, just put in context, we're an organization with about 3,000 employees based around the world. So I gathered together a steering group of people who were living it in one aspect. A lot of them are really into fitness and different aspects, but healthy living was important to them. And from that, we developed a number of different work streams to really understand what it is that we could do, that we, we could do better and how we could join up these different dots to create a well-being, a well-being program. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we are. And we have a number of different work streams now, which will help us, um, number one, position what we do much better, but also introduce new initiatives that will have a lot more impact impacts mm-hmm. on the well-being of the uh, 3,000 employees that work for this company. Well, I think you know, the thing that really resonated with me there was when you were saying that you felt like you were only bringing half of yourself to work, because I can completely relate to that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can too, if they're you know starting their business on the side and working in a day job. I remember the feeling like, you know, it was just half of me, which I did enjoy my job too, parts of it. But I just felt like there was all this other interesting stuff I had going on that I didn't have an outlet for that nobody knew about. And I think, you know, I had a lot of hesitation at the time. I actually wish that, you know, I'd met you a few years ago, like that this journey had been going on because maybe my story would have played out differently. But I think, you know, I had a lot of hesitation about Ooh, do I really want to bring them together? Like, is that okay to show your whole self at work? Or, you know, will they start thinking that I'm not as focused on my job Mm -hmm. if I start talking about all this other stuff I'm doing? Did you have any fears or thoughts around that? Absolutely. And, and those fears and thoughts have gone on for a long time. That's probably why I haven't actually talked about it until now. And it's all about time and it's all about culture. And I think because this year we've been talking so much about people in terms of the skill shortage and some of those other challenges that we have as, as an organisation, it, it felt odd not having that, um, uh, having a wellbeing programme. And when you look at progressive companies, they're very much, you're seeing a investment in well-being. So there are job roles now, internal well-being managers, a role that didn't exist certainly in the UK until recently. So progressive companies are starting to develop. So it felt that there was a very, very solid business argument for actually putting it on the agenda now. So the timing felt right. I was worried because I was thinking that originally it didn't fit into my job, whereas now the timing felt perfect. So I waited for that opportunity. It wasn't something I I was planning, but there was a gap in what we were doing and it fitted in very much with the uh, people strategy that we actually had. So Mm -hmm. um, I moved forward based on that 
sort of understanding and took baby steps initially rather than just kind of launching in with uh, a big program and a big plan, which for me still is very much in terms of my role here as an extracurricular activity. And what do you think from a corporate perspective? Because obviously if somebody's in a company and, and interested in well-being and wanting to start something like this, in your experience, what are the most compelling arguments for a company to really start a well-being program or focus on this? Sure. Well, thinking about it from the business perspective, there are two kind of hard metrics that that stand out, certainly for me. One of them is absenteeism through sickness. So, for example, if you've got, you know, take the example of the football team, you know, if you've got a a football team of players and half your players are off sick, then you're not going to win the game. And it's exactly the same if you're you're working in a a business, whether whatever size business, if you've got employees and they're not, and they're not there, then your productivity is not going to be great. So that's one big incentive to actually reduce your um, uh, your level of sickness of absenteeism through to, through sickness. The other big one, which uh, it's technically is called presenteeism, which is apparently an even bigger number, and that's of course the people who are at work but they're not really there. They're not a hundred percent, and their minds are elsewhere. So again, they're not as productive. And they're the two kind of hard metrics. And then there are a lot, there are lots of softer metrics around employee engagement, employee satisfaction. So there's a lot of data out there now in the HR space which actually highlights how. If your employees are not engaged, then that has a big impact on your bottom line. So it's very much because of this kind of research that's coming out increasingly, it's moving the well-being argument from being something which is kind of soft and nice to do to something which makes very good commercial sense. Mm -hmm. Now, you're in a pretty fortunate position there because you're, you know, you report to the CEO, so you're quite senior in the organization. But if somebody listening is more lower down in an organization, do you think there's still ways that they can bring their well-being knowledge into work and benefit you know, themselves and the company? Yeah, without question. I, I always say it's like a top-down and bottom-up. So it has been easier for me because I've got a top-down approach and I can engage and I can push this. And I did last week, for example, I'd Having been at this for six months with these different work streams, I was given the opportunity to present to the most senior leaders in the company our well-being strategy, which immediately has got everyone engaged. So that's great for me and great for the company and all the employees. If you're at the bottom, if you're at the the bottom of the organisation, then what I would encourage is people to get together with like-minded people. And I think in this day and age, it's exactly the same as being outside the company. Social media, so we use Yammer, which is a, a kind of internal version of um, Twitter but using tools like that enable you to connect with other people in the organization and uh, coming together and doing things that are very tactical initially moves the agenda forward so you don't need to have a big well-being strategy and big well-being plan you can start by doing things at a local level for example introducing or organizing workshops that are talking about topics that are of real interest to the employees. For example, we're about to do one on personal resilience because we have a big issue with um, stress. So that's a really good workshop to do to bring in external speakers. Weight management is another big topic. So if you are a well-being expert, you can either volunteer to deliver that kind of program yourself because it's great experience in terms of talking to large groups of people, or you could bring in someone else, depending on on, on where you know where you are and, and what you want to do. So I think that's a really good way of actually moving forward. Or other ideas are just bringing in 
external practitioners like um, reflexologists and uh, massage therapists and people like that. It requires people in the organization to make these things happen and always have in mind a kind of success criteria so that if you are bringing in people, then that will clearly benefit people that will affect uh, it will affect um, the employees motivation and help them be stronger and better versions of themselves Mm -hmm. so there's quite a lot of tactical things that can be done at a local level that can then lead to bigger things so these are some of the things that we've done over the last six months and now i'm working towards having a big well-being fair in november which will actually Mm -hmm. bring lots of things together and have inspiring content and educational information as well as lots of tech and um, you know well uh, health um, health and well-being mm-hmm. technology so we can showcase that to really provide some inspiration to the people who work in the company so it's like having a control audience that you can make a massive difference to their lives and a massive difference to the organization as well as building your own knowledge and your own expertise because you're practicing some of the skills that you um, that you have yeah well the whole time as you're talking with people about this and organizing you know organizing groups or giving talks or organizing talks or you're really learning what the market wants and learning what people struggle with and and like you said practicing your skills so it's really benefiting you and your future and well-being as well as the business absolutely so one thing that i i think it's really i think that's really interesting about what you've done is that it's not just benefiting the business but you were saying that when you had that moment you were kind of we were chatting a bit before we started recording when you had that moment where you merged your profiles like on LinkedIn and you really kind of became your whole person at work right you said that it really helped your own business too like through referrals and downloads and <laughs> and just kind of you know being able to leverage that network that you have Completely, yeah. Because up until this point, when I've been developing raw energy, I felt that I'd been doing everything under the radar. You know, so, you know, I'm a marketer and I understand how to acquire new customers. But when you've got a social profile with hardly any followers and you're trying to build that up, but you don't want to tell all the people that you know, you know, I have a thousand contacts um, on LinkedIn, for example, but up until this point, I haven't told any of them that I also am, am running a well-being business, health coaching business, because I just felt I wasn't clear in my own mind what the story was. But now I'm much clearer in terms of how these different profiles and personas come, come together. And it's enabled me to then reach out at networking events and talk to people and tell them that I've um, you know, written a book and um, I send them the link. And that's led to my, my list growing quite considerably. And that's also now enabled me to actually volunteer to go to their businesses and do workshops and and sessions on topics. So I'm going to one of our suppliers actually in a couple of weeks who they're opening a um, an organic uh, cafe in their in their business and they've asked me to open that and also I'm going to do my talk on on um, sugar and uh, how that uh, how that relates to um, weight management. Oh that's great. I'm wondering when you started telling people did you get any strange reactions? Because I think that's the fear we all have. You know, oh, if you start telling people they're, I don't know, I don't know what we're scared of, but did you get any weird reactions? Well, I did, I did initially, and I'll tell you what gave me the opportunity because I was feeling very uncomfortable for a while, particularly when I was training. And I guess over the, since the beginning of this year, I've built my confidence because I've got my story much clearer and my proposition much clearer. I was given an opportunity, I was at a big um, council meeting, so I'm part of an industry council here in, in the UK. 
okay. And as an icebreaker, there were about 30 people around the table. And as an icebreaker, they asked us to talk about something that nobody else in the room knows. And it was the mm. first time I was able to talk about my wellness um, side of me, if you like. But it also made me realize everybody else around the table also had similar stories. There were antique collectors and there were all kinds of different aspects. It made me realize that rather than trying to hide it, I need to kind of bring it out, talk about it because it's part of who I am. And um, people accept you for who you are. And it's really enabled me to feel much more confident and create a lot of conversations around this topic because it is a, it is a topic there. Everybody's really interested in to a point. So it, now, now the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. I talk about it all, all of the time, but it's just uh, it's, it's just balancing yeah. that that message to the appropriate audiences. So um, mm-hmm. it certainly helps, and making sure that if you are talking to your employer. Uh, and this, I think, was what you alluded to before, that they don't think that you're not 100% committed to the company because clearly they, they need to believe that. But the, what you do in your own time, as long as it's not as long as it's not competitive, is your choice. So I'd like to sh- shift gears a little bit because I think pretty much everyone listening feels like they don't have enough time, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that you with your job and then raw energy on the side plus your family and like you said, trying to have some sort of life also, social life, <laughs> you know, you're quite busy. And and one thing that I've been really impressed with over the past year is just how much work and progress you've been able to make on raw energy, especially launching, writing and launching this book. And yes. as, as a big, a major strategy to build your list. And so could you kind of tell us a bit about how, you know, how do you do this? Okay. I mean, so, so for me, in terms of managing my time has been a, an ongoing journey, I guess, for a long time, really, because I've, I've always had a view that I, I, I want to do as much as I can is as little time as I can. So over the years, there have been books like The 4-Hour Week, for example, that have really influenced me and, and given me some tips and ideas and strategies to, um, to apply. So I'm very focused on the outcome to start with. So what is it? If I, if I am successful at this, what does success look like? And sometimes you don't know and you need to get started, but being really, really clear on where you want to play, where you want to put your resources. So writing the book, you know, was it was a challenge for me, but I decided it was important and I moved other things off of my list because I have lots of ideas, but then I'll, I'll structure my time so that then the other projects in my, what I call it future box. I have a future box list. I use um, a couple of brilliant pieces of software now that has really, really helped me. And that's made a massive uh, difference. Oh, you have to tell us, what are they? I will do. So I use um, Evernote, which I think lots of people use, and that's been amazing since. Uh, and I came across someone today who'd never heard of it, which always shocks me. But it's such a because it's such an inter- integral part of my life. And then I use Remember the Milk, which I've used for probably about six years now. It's a fantastic online to-do list. It really helps me keep on control. It helps me get everything out of my head into a single place and uh, keep it tagged so that I have different lists and I can really focus. And that really enables me to do what I do and not keep everything bubbling away in, in your head. It's just out there and I can be very systematic. So I think that systematic, organized approach really supports. 
and then allocating sufficient time to different projects has been important, as well as working with external resources. So on raw energy, I didn't do it all myself. I wrote the book, but I didn't produce it. I didn't design it. I work with a virtual team and the same with the website. For me, it was important to get some hands-on experience in terms of building that, but my skill base kind of stopped in terms of how much I could do in terms of myself. So then I, uh, I found a freelance developer via Elance, which is a great resource to, to locate the independent freelancers. And I found him a year ago, actually last July, and that's been transformational. So now I've got a virtual team that's really been able to support me. And I'd really, I'd say, because I'm so used to delegating, if you like, it's second nature for me to think what's the best place for me to, to focus my time and what aspects of the job can I delegate so that things can actually move in parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I think because of your corporate job and your experience there, you're really comfortable in, in just saying, you know, this isn't the best use of my time. I need to delegate it out. And I have to say, you're probably like the only person I've seen when they first get out of school and start their business that starts delegating, really, I think, which is I think it's fabulous. And I think more people should do it. I think there's a big mental hurdle. I mean, even for myself, it took me ages to finally, you know, hire my virtual assistant and start delegating. And I think that's something that especially if you're crunched for time and you're working in a day job, it's brilliant to just get some of that stuff off your plate so that they can be working like while you're sleeping and then you're at work and you come back and and your book's laid out. Without question. And there are some things that you just don't have the skills to do. So by definition, it's going to take you much longer. If I was laying out and producing the ebook, it wouldn't have, I'm not a designer, so it wouldn't have looked as good as it does. And it would have taken me 10 times as long because it was the first time I've done it. Whereas by finding someone, delegating it to her and obviously briefing her it still requires my input and my time but not nearly as much and it can move forward so the amount of money because i know when you're first starting out you've got to keep that balance between money coming in and money going out but you just have to make that judgment if you don't invest then you don't get the return so it's keeping it balanced and as i say you know as long as you've got a success criteria in your mind like i want to get an ebook out because i want to have an opt-in and i want to build a list of 100 people and it's a case of what value does those 100 people have have to you and have for you and what more can you do with them and then you balance that with the resources to be able to do it because resisting and learning that skill of not trying to do absolutely everything yourself means that you can then focus on the areas that you really like doing because otherwise you know you leave a job to, to become an entrepreneur so that you can run the business how you choose but if you're ground down with um, admin the takes away some of the creativity and that can be demoralizing for a lot of people initially yeah and we're not you know when when you're talking about investing in your business it doesn't have to be a ton of money either to hire somebody to do some website updates for you or to do layout of a book i mean there's a whole wide price range of people that you can get out there i think it's you just need to yeah, go check out Elance and Odesk and, and dip your exactly. toe in the water. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, for a fairly low sort of hourly rate, you know, clearly there are there are those different scales, but it's definitely it's definitely worth getting your team on board and then and then training them and supporting them. As I say, having a developer for a year has made my life much easier now. But I did have to put quite a lot of work in at the beginning to um, to share the vision, to share the uh, the journey that we're going on. Mm. Yeah, I'm wondering if you have any delegation tips from your corporate job, from this. I mean, for somebody that hasn't done a lot of delegating before, what would you recommend? I I think the key thing is to start by focusing on what you like doing yourself. 
and then thinking about which repeatable tasks you could be, you, you could delegate initially. So that's a way in terms of a virtual assistant. I mean, that's always the starting point in the sense of there's always a lot of admin and often people who are initially very resistant to hire assistants or virtual assistants can say, oh, by the time it takes me to actually brief someone else, I could do it myself. What you've got to think about is grouping tasks because if you, for example, fill lots of forms in, it might only take you two minutes to fill those forms in. But if you're doing 30 of them a week, that suddenly becomes a much bigger task. So be clear what it is you want to delegate and be really, really clear on the briefing, particularly when you're working with people in a different country uh, whose first language may not be English. So make it very clear to them what the outcome is, what you're expecting them to do, and ask them to to do a trial or do a test initially so that you don't um, go away with an assumption they know exactly what they're doing and then 10 hours later Mm -hmm. the result is not what you imagined. So talking to people, making sure you've got regular updates via Skype or by email is really useful so that things – so delegation doesn't mean – out of my, you know, out of my, um, out of my train into yours, and I'm not going to talk to you until it's completed. It very much means setting milestones, working with somebody in a team effort. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're hiring somebody to say help you out with your social media marketing, you usually can't just say, oh well, you know, do my social media marketing right for five hours a week, unless you're hiring somebody that's at quite a senior level that's going to do the strategy and do it all for you. But you need to really, like you said, be clear and. Then give like really concrete tasks. I even film little videos a lot of times of exactly what I want the person to do, and which, then which is great. Yeah, and then no. send it off and have them do a couple, and then send it back for a checkpoint. But just you know, they just like you don't want to spend a lot of money and get it have them get it wrong. They also don't want to waste their time and then have you unhappy. Right. Absolutely. And and I think the point about doing the task yourself initially, so at least you know what needs to be done, and that also gives you a view as to how long it takes. And that's much easier to delegate than something you've never done before. So, for mm-hmm. example, if it was managing your Facebook and you've never used Facebook, then, of course, it's much harder to manage someone else doing it than if you've done it and you realize which aspects of that role you want to um, delegate to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lawrence, we're kind of starting to run short on time. uh, But something that I always like to ask is if you could share one of your favorite business books or a book that's really inspired you. Okay. I mean, there are so many business books because I read so many things. It's, it's really narrowing it down and thinking of thinking of just just one. So recently, I've read Rework, which I think is great in terms of just rewriting the rules of the rewriting the rules of the game in terms of business. It, it turns current uh, sort of business philosophies completely on on its head. So I think that's a, a great book. You know, the Four Hour Week, as I mentioned before, I think that's a really a really good reference as well in terms of thinking in a more innovative way about how you spend your time. Yeah, that was one of the four-hour work week. We've talked about that on the podcast before, but that was one of the ones I remember reading, oh, geez, probably, you know, seven or eight years ago now. And it really got my gears turning about, it got me thinking about how I could how I could do that myself and, and have it a does. more flexible think- life. So. Completely. And the books like that sort of feed into many other books so that uh, you start to see the same kind of messaging working through in a, in, in, a different, in a different way. Great. So can you let us know where people can find you if they'd like to get in touch or, you know, chat with you about what you're doing or just learn more about your raw energy business? Sure. So, so you can find me at uh, rawenergy.info. 
So that's my uh, my homepage. I'm about to do a, a big read. It's a year. It, 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 I think it's just a state of how fast things move in the in the online world. But um, I'm going to do a, a bit of a change to the website over the next uh, over the next few months. But you can find me on on rightenergy.info. You can also download a free copy of my book uh, Sugar Sickly or Sweet there, which is completely free. So uh, so uh, you'll see a, a copy of it uh, on the homepage. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Lawrence. It's been great chatting with you. Brilliant. Thank you, Amanda. You take care now. Thanks for listening to this interview with Lawrence Mitchell. You can get all the links to everything we talked about, the books and the tools and Lawrence's website and his ebook back on my website in the show notes, which are at wellpreneuronline.com slash 31. And please don't keep the podcast a secret. If you love it, share it. Tell your friends how fabulous podcasts are. Help them get the app installed on their phone and let them discover the amazingness of taking training and inspiration with them wherever they go, whether it's my podcast or others. Let's spread the podcast love. So I'm wishing you a fabulous week, loads of success in your wellness business. And yeah, I'll see you back here next week with the next episode.